Hello, Pastor Friend. I'm Dean Taylor. This is Shepherdology, Episode 25, and my desire is to be a friend to pastors. Thank you for listening. I always start with an encouraging truth, and so I'm going to do that today. Uh, the other day I was teaching in my pastoral theology class here at Faith Baptist Bible College, and we were talking about one of the key passages related to pastoral ministry, 1 Peter chapter 5, verses 1 through 4. And I emphasized the phrase in 1 Peter 5, verse 2, where Peter says, Shepherd the flock of God, which is among you. And I asked the students to just pause for a minute in the class and think about that phrase, the flock of God, and the implications of that for a pastor. I usually think in terms of God's ownership. In other words, it's not my flock, it's his flock. And uh, so there's a lot of responsibility and accountability that goes with that. But the encouraging truth I want to share with you was mentioned by a student in the class. And I think it's a very helpful insight. And it's this, when Peter says the flock of God, uh, this is probably a genitive of possession. It is the flock that belongs to God. But an implication of that is that he is sovereign over it, he cares for it, he is in control of it, and as pastors, yes, we have a great responsibility, but we can also rest in that truth. So the encouraging truth that I want to just hold up before us here today is that it is the flock of God. And this is a concept that uh, Peter echoes, I think, that Paul emphasized in Acts chapter 20, verse 28, when he was speaking to the Ephesian elders, and he called it the church of God. He told them to shepherd the church of God, which he has purchased with his own blood. So it is God's, and it has been, it's his by creation, it's also his by redemption, but and there's that a sense of responsibility, but also, again, the fact that we can rest in his sovereignty because it does belong to him. He is in control. He does have authority. He bears ultimate responsibility. Jesus is the one who said, I will build my church. And maybe that would be helpful for you today to think not only in terms of the responsibility of shepherding the flock that belongs to God, but also resting in his sovereignty, the one who purchased it, the one who is building it. Because we can feel that great weight of responsibility. We can become anxious about problems and threats. And we can struggle with our own feelings of inadequacy. And it just helps us to remember that God is sovereign. It's the flock of God. It belongs to him. He is over it. He is in control. He is sovereign. And he is ultimately the one who is bringing growth and success to the church. So hopefully that truth will encourage you today that it is the flock of God. And maybe you'd like to uh, just take that little phrase and turn it over in your own mind from 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 2 and spend 10 minutes, 20 minutes or so just meditating on that truth maybe journaling some ideas that come to your mind and then reflecting those back to God in praise and in prayer and committing your own heart and um, just really turning over 
the weight of the church back to God. So hope that encouraging truth is something that might benefit you. The topic I'm going to talk about today is one that has been prompted in my mind through a couple of circumstances. Uh, it's ordination, and one, one of the circumstances is that this weekend I have the opportunity to travel to Minnesota and participate in the ordination council and uh, then the service on Sunday for a pastor who's being ordained. So ordination's on my mind. And then also, I think sometime this past week or week before on social media in a pastor's group, I saw somebody put the question up. So what's the strangest question you've gotten or heard at an ordination council? And uh, some humorous answers, but also some kind of tough ones too. Uh, tough situations too that happen at ordinations. So so it's on my mind and I want to just talk about ordination a little bit and what is the biblical basis of it and the purpose of it and a few comments on the process of it and some applications uh, for pastors. And if you're already ordained, you might think, well, you know, that's something that isn't immediately relevant to me. But But I hope that you'll find it encouraging. In fact, I think that one of the blessings of an ordination council is uh, being with other pastors and seeing God's hand on a man's life who is in ministry, and there's there's blessing there. So I hope that maybe even just talking about ordination might be a little bit of a blessing to you, but I think there's some applications as well uh, regarding your role in the lives of uh, younger men or any man who is on the path to ministry. So So what is the basis for ordination? What's the biblical basis for it? And I think of three texts of Scripture, and the word or the term ordination is not used in the New Testament, but I think it is a biblical practice that uh, pastors who know a man affirm, formally affirm, that he is qualified and gifted and ready to serve as a pastor— and they examine him and then make a recommendation to the church uh, that he be ordained. I think there is a biblical pattern that we can see that that's based on. And there are three texts of Scripture that I think of. The first one, it's more implied in 1 Timothy 3, 1 through 7. You're familiar with that passage as the list of qualifications for a man going into pastoral ministry. But I, I think there is an implication there that Paul's instructions to Timothy, based on these qualifications, was that Timothy was to decide whether a man was qualified for ministry or not. In fact, there were false teachers, and uh, even as Paul had predicted in Acts, we see in Acts 20, that there would be wolves from among them that would rise up and lead the people astray and harm the church. And you read the first chapter of, of 1 Timothy, and that's exactly what was happening in Ephesus. And so Paul is uh, telling Timothy, hey, you need to identify the uh, genuine, authentic, qualified leaders in the church, the overseers. And then he gives that list of qualifications. So the fact that Paul gave Timothy instructions and a list of qualifications implies that Timothy was supposed to evaluate a man's character and his giftedness and determine whether he was qualified or not. And that's what ordination does. It, it's a 
step of determining and confirming that a man is qualified for ministry based on his character, his understanding of the Word of God, and his gifts. So that's the first text, 1 Timothy chapter 3. The second text is Titus chapter 1 verse 5. This is a similar situation where Paul instructed Titus uh, to appoint elders in every city, as I directed you. And then, like in 1 Timothy 3, Paul gave Titus a list of qualifications in verses 6 through 9. And those are very similar to the ones in 1 Timothy 3. So again, you have a, a spiritual leader, uh, Titus, who was instructed to evaluate that these men were ready for ministry and to, to confirm and appoint them to ministry. So you have human involvement uh, by spiritual leaders in the church confirming and appointing others. So 1 Timothy 3, Titus 1, and then the third one is more specific, and this is 1 Timothy 4, verse 14. And this verse speaks of an event in Timothy's life. Paul encouraged Timothy, do not neglect the gift that you have, which was given you by prophecy, when the council of elders laid their hands on you. So these are the presbyteroi, the elders plural. In this translation, it's, uh, the, the phrase council of elders is used to reflect that. It's a group of pastors, a group of elders, who formally affirmed Timothy's giftedness and ready for ministry, and they signified this by a formal act of laying their hands on Timothy. And that was not some magical transmission of power or authority or ability, anything like that. They were just formally acknowledging in a public way that, um, that Timothy was, was gifted and qualified and ready for ministry. So 1 Timothy 4.14 is one of the key texts there also related to ordination. And, and so I do see a pattern in Scripture. I do see a biblical basis for ordination. And I think that, that the way that we do it today pretty much follows that. Now, I think it's important to recognize what the purpose of ordination is. And uh, <laughs> when you talk about ordination councils, um, there, there are many stories. And as I, when I became a pastor, thankfully my ordination, I felt went very smoothly. But when I became a pastor and I was invited to ordinations and then also I moderated ordinations, I became aware that sometimes things can get off track. And so I developed a um, an order, I guess you would call it, maybe agenda, that's a better word. I developed an agenda for an ordination council that any time I was in charge of it, and by the way, if we did it at my church, um, I was the moderator, so I could be in control of it. But at the beginning of any ordination council that I was moderating, I, I would say this. I would say, we need to all recognize the purpose of this ordination council. Because I think that can be assumed. People think, well, we know why we're here. We're going to ask questions and we're going to, going to vote whether we think he should be ordained or not. And that's all true. But I think it, it helps to have these criteria in mind. So what's the purpose of the ordination council? What are we here to, to accomplish? And here's what I would say. We are here to recognize and, if we're able, to confirm the following about the candidate. And there are five areas. One is that he is biblically qualified for vocational ministry. Biblically qualified 
for vocational ministries. In other words, his life, his character, his abilities, his reputation align with the biblical qualifications that we see, especially in 1 Timothy 3 and Titus chapter 1. So that's, that's the first area. The second area and the purpose of the council is to recognize and confirm that the candidate is personally and spiritually gifted for vocational ministry. First Timothy 3, he has to be able to teach, right? Uh, if a man desires the office of an overseer, First Timothy 3, verse 1, so he has to be able to lead. Uh, and so there are, there are gifts that go with the desire to be in ministry. And so, so the council confirms that he is gifted for vocational ministry. The third area is his beliefs. So we're here to recognize and confirm that he is orthodox in his beliefs. So he needs to know the word. He needs to present a doctrinal statement that is clear and accurate based in scripture and that he can uh, defend, that he can explain, that he can provide the biblical basis for. So usually a candidate works through his doctrinal statement for the ordination council and they ask questions uh, to determine if he is orthodox and if he can back it up from scripture. The fourth area is understanding of issues of the day. So the purpose of the council is to recognize and confirm that he has an understanding of issues of the day. And I would say that, you know, we do certainly see in scripture in the pastoral epistles where uh, men in ministry have to be able to address doctrinal issues, cultural issues, issues in church life. And I do think of, of Titus chapter 1 verse 9 where it says, Of the elders, they need to be able to hold fast the faithful word as he has been taught, that he may be able by sound doctrine both to exhort and convict those who contradict. That's Titus 1 9. So, he needs to know the doctrines, but also be able to preach them and teach them in a way that addresses issues in a persuasive way. So he needs to understand the issues of the day. And then the fifth area is readiness to begin serving in a local church ministry. So the purpose of the council is to recognize and confirm that the candidate is ready to begin serving in a local church ministry. So he's at a level of maturity and his marriage is in good shape, his family, and he's just positioned and ready to begin truly serving in church ministry. So, so that's the purpose I see in an ordination council. I think it's helpful to recognize that. Now, if you are a pastor and you have somebody in your church that you are preparing for ministry, maybe they're away at college, or maybe it's a teenager that shows interest or has potential or somebody that's been to seminary and they're serving in your church, and you you think that it's headed toward ordination, these are areas for you to be helping this man develop and grow in and be prepared for, so that when that time comes, uh, it's not, hmm, well, I don't know, maybe he's ready, maybe he isn't, but really he's in, in that place where he truly is prepared and ready for that step. So So you have an opportunity to be involved in, in a man's life and help prepare him for this. And then I think it's also important for our churches because, uh, again, something else that I would say about a candidate if, if they were from our church is we have observed this man in our church setting. And we believe, we meaning myself, other pastors, 
that have been involved, we believe that that he's ready for this step. We've seen his, his life. We've uh, seen him in ministry, uh, functioning in that capacity, and we believe this is the right next step for him. So we need to be alert to those things. Now, here's another statement that I often made or did make as part of um, the beginning of an ordination council, if I was moderating. You know, there's always the issue of uh, hard questions and let's see if we can stump the candidate and throwing out questions that probably nobody knows the answer to. And, you know, people kind of have their pet areas that they like to ask questions about and they're looking for, you know, a certain phrase, a certain answer. They're not satisfied unless the candidate answers exactly with exactly the right wording. That's where some of the horror stories come from. So, so here's what I would say. There are a few things for us to keep in mind as we question this candidate. Our purpose as a council is to hear him represent his beliefs, interpretations, and convictions. And the purpose of our questions is to allow him to express these. So that's why we ask the questions. Uh, not to put out our agenda or to uh, try to make him squirm, uh, but to let him express his views, his beliefs. And then I'll say there are hard questions and they should be asked. So we're not just trying to pitch him softballs, not trying to go easy on him. Absolutely, ask the hard questions. But our spirit is not to try to make the candidate uncomfortable or stump him or to express or promote your view as a council member of an issue, but to hear what he has to say about it. And hopefully that that um, phraseology, uh, that uh, way of setting things up helps everybody know the kind of tone and spirit and even the kind of questions we should ask. I, I find that to be helpful for the, the tone of the council as well as the, the uh, candidate as well. Now, just as a little bit of humor, I would also say we, we allow the candidate to... Um, to use Deuteronomy 29.29 three times. And that's the verse that says the secret things belong to the Lord. So just, uh, you know, saying, okay, yeah, there are some things that we'd say, you know what, none of us knows the answer to that. So um, he can use that a few times, but not too many times, of course. And again, just, just thinking in terms of the purpose of the ordination and those five areas, and then uh, trying to um, put a little bit of a, a guard in place as to the the tone of the questions and how they're presented, I think is helpful. Um, let me mention something about the process as well. I, I've been to ordinations where it seemed as if the candidate was hearing the questions for the first time. And he just stutters and stammers and, you know, deer in the headlights. And, uh, boy, it, it just seems like he is um, not ready. And that's sad and it puts the council in a very difficult position of possibly even saying, you know, we're not sure this guy is ready. And I have been in that position. So I think it's important for the pastor who's working with and preparing the candidate to spend a lot of time and really invest in preparing him. So that means letting him work on his doctrinal statement, working through that with him, reading over it, pointing out areas that need to be strengthened or made more precise or corrected if needed. And uh, then we did something, I just called it a pre-questioning. So 
our pastoral team. And if you don't have multiple pastors, you could probably get a few together, get your pastor friends from your area together and do a pre-questioning. So ask the candidate the kind of questions he's going to hear in the from the ordination council. That's a great way for him to practice and to to know what to expect and to work on how he's going to respond both with the content of his answers as well as how he'll articulate them in a clear and precise and biblically backed way. And I think that's an important part of this process is to have a, a lead in with a pre-questioning. One ordination council that I was part of, um, and it's always a privilege, it's always a blessing, but there was a man who um, I was invited to be on the council and uh, it was apparent pretty quickly that he was not ready. And I think the pastor had kind of kind of rushed it. It was premature and he was not really prepared. And we started asking him the questions and he just gave very vague general answers or did not know the answer. And these are like basic questions. And um, it reached the end and, you know, the question, you know, they dismissed the candidate and said, uh, so what, what do you all think? And it was kind of quiet. And boy, I raised my hand and I said, uh, I just want you to know, uh, you know, you guys do what you want to do, but I'm not in a position of being able to confirm that he is ready. So I just want you to know that. And it was kind of like a a little bit of a sigh of relief because the others said, you know what, we're thinking the exact same thing. Now that was tough, but that was one of those times when I thought, you know, he needed to be prepared ahead by his pastor and and not go forward with the council if he wasn't ready. And of course, another difficulty in that is they'd already planned the service on Sunday to ordain him and planned a church lunch and um, celebration and all that and announced it. So that gets a little awkward. But I would rather say no than, um, than, than regret it later for his sake and everybody else's. In fact, I saw him a couple of years after that, and he thanked me. And he said, you know what, you were right. I was not ready for that. In fact, his life went really in a different direction. So, so the point is just really being engaged and involved with a guy who's on that track and helping him be prepared for it. Uh, a few applications here. Just if you're in ministry, maybe are are already ordained. One I've already made, be involved in a young man's life. Be preparing him for ministry. It's great when when a guy says, hey, will you be on my ordination council? Or, hey, I'm interested in being ordained. To not have that be the first time you engage with him, but that you've already been on a path of influencing him and encouraging him. And then another application is this. It's not a rubber stamp. Uh, the ordination council has a lot of responsibility and needs to be discerning and, if necessary, express concerns. And there are times when sometimes the candidate's answers are generally sufficient but maybe somewhat weak in areas. And I know sometimes the council will say, we will vote in favor, but we want you to go back and work on these areas. Well, that's where I think it should have come up earlier. Um, but that that can be a challenging position to be in. So just as a council member, I think it's good to recognize it doesn't have to, we feel the pressure to say yes, but need to be honest about it. And, and then um, just be engaged with these younger men and be praying for the Lord to send forth laborers and uh, even sometimes take teenagers with you if possible to an ordination service or council and let them observe and 
They can really grow through that. God can use that to encourage them toward ministry. There are lots of, of ordination stories. Here's my favorite one. I was actually in India preaching in a conference there for a church and college ministry. And there was a man there that uh, the pastors intended to hold an ordination council for during that conference week. And they invited me to be part of it. So I remember sitting in the room and uh, the candidates there and pastors primarily from India as well as a few of the conference speakers from America asked him questions. And I heard a question at that ordination council I've never heard before or since and it's just imprinted on my mind. And you know there's, there's real persecution, especially in, in certain parts of India. Um, there's hostility toward the gospel and the people who believe it, especially preachers of the gospel. And people are hunted and uh, hurt and uh, physically. And so here's the question that was asked of the candidate. What will you do when persecution comes? What will you do when persecution comes? And his immediate response was, I will be faithful to the death. I've never heard that question. I've never heard that answer on ordination council, but that's powerful. And that's the kind of dedication that a pastor really should have, isn't it? And so for all of us, that's a great challenge. When there are hardships, when there's hostility, we're going to be faithful by God's grace and even to the death, whether that is because our life is taken or because the Lord takes us home. Well, I hope just these thoughts on ordination are helpful and encouraging for you. And uh, I'd like to end with prayer for you, my pastor friend. So please, in your heart, your mind, would you join me as I pray for you. Help us to rest in your sovereignty, Heavenly Father. Help, I pray, my pastor friends to know that they shepherd the flock of God which is an um, overwhelming responsibility, and we will give an account, but also we rest in your sovereignty because it's your church. It belongs to you. And so I pray that my pastor friends will just uh, calm their hearts and anchor their thoughts and rest their souls on you. Of God, the flock of God, you are eternal sovereign, infinite, holy, loving, caring, gracious God. So help each one to rest in you in whatever way is needed. We pray that you would be actively drawing young men to a willingness and an interest in serving in your church. And I pray that you would use my pastor friends to encourage them and prepare them and guide them and confirm them in gospel ministry. We love you and praise you and thank you. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks, Pastor Friend. We'll talk to you again here on Shepherdology.